My name is Danae Reed and I want to welcome you to the part of life where mothers do not physically, emotionally, or mentally exist. Welcome to Damn Mom Really, which is a podcast that seeks to shed light on grief and open up a conversation about a topic that is often avoided. Again, this is a space for people who have either experienced the loss of a mother or a mother figure and I am so excited to fellowship with you guys. The contents of these episodes is up to the discretion of both my guests and myself and I can trust that they are telling the truth just as much as I am as it feels right for them. Also noting that the subject matter can potentially be heavy or triggering we have included a six minute cool down meditation by Liliana Rasmussen at the end of this episode for your pleasure and this soundscape is brought to you by Scott Reed Jr. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the best podcast in the world. My name is Danae, and I am here with my show. We like to call it Damn Mom, really the podcast that nobody wants to be on and everybody wants to listen to. As always, I say this every week because it's always true. I'm joined by a phenomenal guest, Miss Tracy. We have Miss Tracy in the building to talk a little bit about her mom and how she's turned her pain into passion and her authorship. Is that the, is that the word authorship? The word, absolutely. Authorship, okay. It's the word. <laughs> first things first Tracy how are you doing today I'm doing well doing well thanks for having me you're so welcome so tell us a little bit about you what brings you here today wow what brings me here well I was on Facebook and saw the title of your podcast and I was like oh my gosh she's talking to me you know losing my mom was just such a, a pivotal moment in my life and it just really spoke to me like you said turning that pain into passion it took a while to kind of maneuver but um, just the title of your podcast really, really spoke to me. And I was hopeful that you would have me on so I could share my story as well. Thank you so much. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. So one of the things that I've noticed is that people are either on one side of the spectrum or the other. They love talking about their mom or they really do not like talking about their mom. And it seems like you are a person that likes to talk about your mom. So tell us a little bit about the relationship and how it kind of sparked your even interest in just being willing to talk about her in the first place. Absolutely. She was such a force in my life. You know, it's hard not to talk about her. And I found that through continuing to talk about her, it's, it's not that it's like I know intelligently she's not physically here with me, but somewhere in my heart, it makes my day easier. I even have a picture of her here in my little office. And I speak to her every morning when I come into my little office here at home. I have a picture at my office at work. So when people are getting on my nerves, I look at her, I'm like, girl, you hear this right here? Cause you know, she's the first one you call, right? As soon as something goes wrong, mama, you believe what these folks just said, you know? And I don't have her to do that anymore. So her picture is literally right in front of me. So when people get on my nerves, I can look up and talk to her, you know, and, and kind of feel that way. And that's why I like to still talk about her because, you know, just cause she's not physically here doesn't mean she's not still affecting everything I do. I love her too much not to talk about her. And for me personally, um, it helps me to process the pain of it all. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I definitely, from day one of losing my mom, have been talking about her. I also am one who has pictures of her everywhere on my phone, lock screen. Like, as soon as I wake up, there's a picture of her that's right next to my bed. It's like my mom is everywhere. And I do believe that there is something to keeping them alive in that way. And also just feeling a sort of comfort around their presence, just in general, their general presence, which is, uh, you know, when, when they're physically here, it feels like that's the only 
that's the only thing, right? They're physically here and I have their physical mm-hmm. presence. But then when they transcend and reach another level, you still have that sort of energy there. So I would love to talk a little bit about how that reality kind of guided you into creating the book that you wrote. Absolutely. So my book is named um, The Journey of Baby Angel, and I wrote it in June. I started writing in June of 2021. So what happened was my auntie, my mom's sister, passed away suddenly in October of 20. And then December of 20, my mom passed away. So they died back to back. So we're a really close-knit family. Everyone was completely devastated to lose them back to back. And um, I was just shocked. You know what I'm saying? I literally was just shocked. Even though she was an older woman, um, she was 70 years old. I still didn't expect it. In my mind, I was going to have her till she was 80, 85. I had a whole plan set up. You know, I currently live in Alabama, but my husband and I have always wanted to move to San Antonio, which is where one of my other aunties lives. And in my mind, she was going to grow old. We were going to move to San Antonio and have a little in-law suite. And she lived there with us and, you know, go hang out with her sister during the day. I never visualized anything else. I thought I'd have her for so much longer. So all of 2020 felt like it was warning me that this wonderful person who I adored, you know, might be leaving this earth because, you know, we were planning to take her to see Gladys Knight for her 70th birthday. And then COVID happened. So we had a big party here at my house and she says she wanted to play Bad Mama Jamma when she walked into the house. So that tells you what kind of woman she was. So I know. So we had a great time at the party. We had a photographer here and he took this beautiful picture of her. And I told him, I said, that picture like captures her whole essence. Like somebody who doesn't know my mom, if they saw this picture, they would be like, no, that's a fun lady to hang out with because it was a beautiful picture. And just one thing after the other, after the other, kind of looking back, I'm like, you know what? The world was trying to prepare me for this and I was not paying any attention to it because I'm like, nope, that's not happening. But the world was telling me, Tracy, this is coming. And I just didn't acknowledge it. So she lost her sister. And I think the shock of that played into her death. I feel like there was a degree of heartbreak involved when she passed away. And prior to my auntie passing, we had found out my daughter was pregnant. So I was so excited to welcome my first um, biological grandbaby. We have a blended family. So I married into four grandbabies, but my daughter is having, she had my first biological grandchild and I was so excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, mama, we get to go be with Sydney. She's going to have a baby. That was what I was so excited about. So when she passed away suddenly and I lost that moment of seeing my mom with my grandbaby, it was bad enough to lose her. But now to think she's not physically here to love on this grandbaby and to sing with her and dance with her the way I visualized. It was a lot to take in, you know, and then, you know, when I was looking at the title of your podcast and kind of scrolling through some of the other ones, you had like, damn mom. And, and I was like, what is my, you know, what's the rest of that title for me? And for me, the rest of that title is what's my role now? Because I've always been the big sister, but now I'm kind of like the matriarch of the family, you know? So all of it threw me into this weird place, you know? So I don't have my mom, my siblings need, a matriarch, they need somebody to look to. My daughter and son don't have their grandmom anymore. My baby's never going to get to know her great grandmom. So it was a whole bunch of emotions that I was going through. And um, the heartbreak of her not being here to meet my grandbaby was, it was just heartbreaking. And that's where the story came from. The story came from that because in my mind, I could not wait for her to meet the baby and sing with her and dance with her. I just, I was waiting for that. 
and I didn't get to have it here. And um, one day, so the summer after she passed away, I turned 50 years old. Okay. And so, you know, well, you don't know yet because you're young. <laughs> those milestone birthdays kind of do something to you. So those big losses, losing her and then this milestone birthday and the first grandbaby. So I was just kind of thinking it all through. And I was I started to draft the story and I kind of threw it at my husband. And he said, well, you know, you probably should think about trying to publish it. And I didn't even know self-publishing was a thing. I had never considered it. Okay. So I Googled it. And figured out, okay, I can self-publish. I kind of put all the the wheels into motion and I thought it through. And what goes on in this story is that Baby Angel, which is, of course, my grandbaby, Rory, the story follows her down her path in heaven until she's born to my daughter, Sydney. And along the way, she meets all of our relatives, all of our female relatives. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of coax her along the way down the path until she gets to the last two angels. And I don't know how your mama was, and I don't know if she has sisters, but if she got sisters, you know how they can be. Be sitting on the porch, gossiping, having a good time, laughing loud and cackling. And that's how I visualize my mom and her sister. So towards the end of the book, when she get baby angel gets to my mom and her sister, they're sitting on the porch and they're healthy and they're having a good time and they're laughing and all of this good stuff. And they spend time together. And then my mom walks her down the path and she says, Nene, can I stay here with you? And, you know, we can sing and dance together because they sing and dance down the path. And she says, no, little one, you have to go meet your mama. And she kind of bounces her down the path, you know or down the little cloud pathway, you know, and she goes and she's born to, to my daughter and me. And in the, the way the story goes, it helps me to say, you know what, I still can see in my mind that she sang and danced with my baby, you know, she sang and danced with my baby before I even saw the baby, before Sydney even saw the baby, you know, because that's really what I was anxious to see. I was ready to see my mama love on my baby the way she loved on my daughter because I knew how much she loved her grandbaby. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I get to have this grandbaby experience now. And I wanted to experience that with my mother. So I had to shift my mindset and not focus so much on the fact that she's not physically here so I can see it, but know in my mind that she still had that moment with my grandbaby before the baby even got here to be with us, you know? And that's kind of where the story grew from because it just helped me to heal my heart for what I felt like I was missing here. Right. And do you think that that imagination has grown to be enough for you? I do. I do. I think you have to choose to let it be enough. You know, I can't do anything else. You know, I can't bring her back. I can't bring her back. I can't force that to ever exist again. I can't force it to happen for real in person. So I've chosen to let it be enough. You know, Um, I found that I'm much more in tune with things. You know, you see TikTok and Instagram and people speaking about their own experiences, some with near death experiences and things like that. And so I'll hear things and I do, I just allow it to be enough because if I don't, the heartbreak will just be too much. When it first happened, I just would just about hyperventilate from from grief because I'm a crier. It's like, uh uh-uh, I must have cried for the first three weeks straight. My husband was like, you need to go see somebody because I just couldn't compose myself. So I did go see a therapist for a short time and I didn't stick it out, but I did go see her and kind of talk through some of the the high points of what was going through my mind at the time. And But it did, I, I've chosen to let it be enough because that's all I can do. 
you know? Exactly. I definitely agree with that. The reason I asked that question is because me and my dad, my parents were married for almost 26 years at the time my mom passed. Mm -hmm. And we had conversations very often about, does anything feel like enough? Do you believe in the signs that you see? You know, the, the ways that you feel connected to her, do those dreams feel like enough? And I've told him so many times, and I try to also tell myself too, that it's not enough, but it has to be because we have no choice. That's all we have. Mm-hmm. And for me, I lost my mom at 26 and I'm not yet a mom and I haven't gotten married. And there were so many things that I wanted to do with my mom. And it really, in those moments, that really is the first thing that I thought. It was like, damn, not only did I lose my mom so early in my life, but there's all these things that I really wanted to do with her that Mm -hmm. um, I now cannot do. And I think that sometimes when I'm feeling all right, like the, the memory of what I wanted is what hurts the most. It's like, you know, I might have tweeted my mom. In fact, a, a month before she passed, and I also lost my mom unexpectedly. A month before she passed, we were talking on Twitter about how I couldn't wait to see how she was in the delivery room. And I couldn't wait to see her as a grandmom. And I mean, down to two, three days before she passed, we're talking about what she would want to be called as a grandmom. And so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those moments are really difficult for me. And because of that, I I really wanted to have you on the show because I think it's so special that you were able to kind of like make something so concrete out of the way that you were feeling and the things that you hoped and wished for because I have to believe that there's relevance in that, you know? And I don't know how spiritual you are, but I talk to my mom all the time and I hear her talk back to me. And we've talked about my daughter so many times, you know, and I'm like, I might be being crazy. I don't know. But (laughs) the the way that um, the conversations that I at least feel like we're having, you know, interpainally, we definitely talk about my baby and her granddaughter and how amazing she is and and things like that. And so I really hold on to the hope that those things are valid and legitimate, too. And I think it's really special to imagine your grandbaby being welcomed onto Earth by this angel who seems to be absolutely amazing and I'm sure she's so proud of all that you're doing. Do you feel that energy? Like when you put the book out, did you feel your mom's pride or did you just really feel pride for yourself? It was a little bit of both. It was one of those things where it met a desire she also had because she also had this desire. We always talked about it, writing a book and doing this and doing that. That's something that I hope, you know, you're a young person, you're out here doing your thing. And I hope Every time something hits your mind, I hope you try to go do it. Because we talked about it, writing a book. You know, my mom comes from a little town in Kentucky, Hopkinsville, Kentucky. She loves her hometown, but they always grew up with these crazy stories that my granddaddy used to tell. And we always said we would write a book and do this and do that. And we never got around to it. So it also felt like doing something that she said she always wanted to do and for her to be the star of it, you know, the, the center of the whole thing, you know. So yeah, it felt like something really amazing that I could do to help process the grief of something she would be proud of. And that's something I could be proud of because I say it's my my labor of love for my mama. You know, that's that's what I call it, because that's exactly what it was. You know, it helped me to to get through and to visualize something different and to get that get any negative emotions around her death out of my system yeah, that, that it really did. It helped me tremendously. Like you said, so I have something concrete that I can look at. And the illustrations are beautiful. That was very important because the people in the book are my family members, you know. And so something that I really wanted was when my family members opened the book, I want them to be like, 
That's Mom Dell. You know what I'm saying? Like these, this is their grandmother. You know, one of the women in the book is my mother's grandmother. So when my aunties open the book, I want them to look and immediately know who it is. And one of the um, illustrations of my grandmother, who I grew up with, has her dog Nike in it as well. And the whole family knows Nike, you know what I'm saying? And I just love it. And and I think it meant a lot to my cousins as well, who lost their mom in October. Again, yeah. she passed suddenly. She had three children and they had lost their father a few years ago or a few years prior. And I noticed every time one of my cousins, the oldest son, every time I can tell when he's feeling some kind of way and he's really thinking about his mom a lot because yeah. he'll share the picture that the one of the pictures of the two of them on the porch gossiping and laughing. He'll share the picture on Facebook. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, so I like to think that the entire family has got some kind of they're okay. You know, they're together. They're together. They're with grandmama. They're with mom Belle. You know, they're up there with the rest of the the people that we love. And there's just that a, a different existence. They're not here with us anymore, but they're still existing and being those beautiful people that they are just not here with us, you know? Sure, sure. So to create something so meaningful, impactful, and beautiful to you, that's artistic. That takes a lot of emotion, of course. It takes a lot of emotion to be able to unearth a lot of energy to be able to unearth that sort of emotion. Can you talk about a little bit about the creation process for you? Did that bring up a mix of emotions or was it kind of something that you, because, and the reason I'm asking this is because sometimes I feel like when I'm focused on something, I really focus on that thing and I kind of tend to push my emotions around the thing to the back. I want to talk to you a little bit about your experience in that regard. Do you feel the same or were you very emotional around the creation process? I was not emotional around the creation process. I think I might be very similar to what you're speaking of. I was able to kind of get it done. I was very focused on what I wanted because I already saw in my mind what I wanted the end product to look like. Um, so I was able to make some really easy decisions along the line. I went through a couple of illustrators because I was like, no, this is not what I want. Cut that off, you know, adjust this contract. We're not doing this, we're doing that. So there are certain things that were very easy for me to stay on track with. You know, what's interesting, though, when I really got emotional was the first time I read the book out loud. And I've actually read the book out loud to an audience once. And um, this past May, my twin sister and I went to see Janet Jackson concert in Nashville. I know. Oh, my gosh. It was my first concert as old as I am. But I (laughs) loved it because I love me some Janet. I'm all about some Rhythm Nation, you know. We had a great time, but that's right next door to where my mom is from. So we also went to go visit my auntie who lives in Hopkinsville, her hometown. And I made an arrangement with the local library to read the book. So I took my book and I read it for a small audience. And you talk about some tears. The book had been published for almost two years at that point. Uh Uh But I was like, like bawling. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't compose myself. But something about being in her hometown, reading the book, dedicated to her, you know, and they even put it in the, uh, what do you call it? Not the archives, but the genealogy department, Uh because it's a, you know, it's based off of a real live family. Because like I said, she left her hometown. Right. And so the actual process itself, I was okay during that process. I'm sure I had moments here or there, um, but I was okay through the process of writing the book and publishing it. Even the day that it was finally published, which happened to be on my auntie's birthday, even that, you know, 
I made it through that part. I was excited. I was, like you said, just feeling really proud saying, you know what? Look what we did, mama, you know, but reading that book out loud. Oh my goodness. That was like losing her all over again. Cause in some ways it's like, like I lost my grandmama again, like I lost Aunt Netta again, like I lost mama again, you know, in a lot of ways, it was like grieving those women all over again as I was going through the story, you know, so not as much through the process, but when I read it out loud to a group that it definitely hit me then, you know, that those were tears that were coming from somewhere really deep, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. And I mean, just in, in the thought of all that you've done, that's been so intrinsically linked to the love you have for your mom. I think it's so beautiful that you were able to read it for the first time so close to her or in her hometown and that it was published on your aunt's birthday. And, you know, now it's in the genealogy part of the, the library and it's also in the library. It's really special that you were able to kind of honor her in that way, because I think a lot of people struggle with how to honor the person that they love. You know, it's like, how do I do something that encompasses? the love that I have for this person in the only way I know how to. And so to create something that is so meaningful is really special. And I just, I know I just met you, but I'm proud of you too. (laughs) That is such a big thing. Now, in terms of feeling like you, uh, when you were reading it out loud, feeling like you lost them all over again, have you had moments like that outside of that? Or is it really when you had read the book that you felt that way solely? No, I've definitely had moments outside of that. Just when I want to celebrate, I don't know what was going on a few weeks ago, but um, a few weeks ago, I couldn't even tell you what happened, but I don't know how you were with your mom, but I used to always call her like she's the first person I call when I get in my car at the end of every day. Unless something was going on, I need to talk to my husband. Pretty much I called her on my way home. You know, that was kind of our wrap up into the day, kind of call, chit chat, make sure we touch bases. And so she passed me in December of 20. And why? A few weeks ago, I jumped in my car. And the first thing I thought was I got to call mama. Mm. And oh, my gosh, I was like, whoo. Get a grip, Grace. You know, I was that close to just like losing my whole entire composure because I was like, okay, Tracy, you know, I had to deep breathe through. And what brought that up? I don't know. I don't know. After two and a half years, I jump in my car. I need to call mama. Like, no, Tracy, you can't call mama. So I just started talking with her because I can't do anything else. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely still have moments. I'm thankful that I'm a crier, though. (laughs) So I don't hold that emotion in because I tell people that emotion is going to come out one way or another. You know, my sister said that she feels physical pain because my mother was not a crier because she didn't cry a lot at my auntie's service. Um, But I could tell she was shocked, you know, as we're sitting there at the service she kind of leaned up on top of the pew like this and got real close. And she looked at me and she said, that's Netta, ain't it? I said, yes, ma'am, that's Netta. You know, and I just kind of watched her through the whole service because I'm like scared what's getting ready to happen, you know, but she seemed like she was okay at that time. But, but yeah, those moments definitely hit me just like, I feel like they hit my cousin. Like I said, I can tell cause he'll start sharing a lot of pictures oh. and I don't even know what to say to him. You know what I'm saying? Because it's still like half the time, I don't know what to do for myself, you know, right. but just try to be here to support one another. And my heart really goes out from my, my aunties. They were, they're such close sisters, you know what I'm saying? Right. And I hate that my aunties have to live with this grief of losing their two sisters back to back. Yeah, I can't even imagine what that was like for you and your family. And, you know, when I lost my mom, I think that was one of my 
other primal concerns is is I'm going am I going to lose somebody next week? Am I going to lose somebody next month? Like and and can I handle two heavy griefs at the same time? Because it really is such a thing that it's like I can't do more of this at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you said you were in therapy and then you stopped after, you know, a little bit of time. What did you do to kind of make sure that you were okay mentally after you stopped the therapy process? Um, I think I'm lucky because I'm a talker anyway, first of all, you know what I'm saying? I'm one of those don't meet a stranger kinds of girls, you know? So my coworkers knew how much, you know, how close I was with my mom. So they knew how difficult the loss was for me. So there were plenty of times where we did these these hallway huddles, as one of my staff members would call them, because unfortunately she lost her husband in August of the following year. So she and I kind of ended up leaning on each other a lot. You know what I'm saying? If she was having a hard day, she would come in my office. I explained to my staff members and my supervisor, I said, look, this is where I'm at emotionally. (laughs) Like there are some days that I just don't care what's going on. I'm probably not going to answer the phone. I'm not talking to none of y'all. December 21st is a a national holiday as far as I'm concerned, because that's the day we lost her. It's like, I cannot be bothered with y'all. I just made it clear where my my boundaries are. Like Mm -hmm. right now, this is my mindset. Don't come at me with nothing else because I got to pull myself together. And so luckily I work in that kind of a touchy feely realm. You know what I'm saying? Where we talk things out anyway, you know, this is who we are by nature. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I was in an environment where people were like, Tracy, get back to work, do this, do that. You know, I was in an environment where people were very open to letting me have those moments and respecting my space, you know, go to my office, close the door up. I take a day off in a heartbeat. And I know everybody's not able to do that. You know what I'm saying? I get paid leave. I have siblings who, if they don't go to work, they don't get paid. They don't have that luxury. And so I don't know how people push through it when they don't have that opportunity to take off and still not let their income be affected. Because luckily, those are my circumstances. But my siblings, all of my other siblings, besides maybe one of my sisters, you know, if they don't go to work, they don't get paid. So if they were having a bad day, they had to really weigh that out. But fortunately, I was I'm able to just stop and say, you know what, I just need to take some time to myself and just let myself shed those tears. Because like I said, that physical pain of of pushing the grief down or pushing the tears down, that can be a lot for anyone's body. Like I said, my twin sister, that's her form of grief. She doesn't really cry, but she said that after the service, she felt like somebody had beat her up. She said my whole body hurt. So yeah, that's kind of how I made my way through it. I just let people know what my boundaries were, what I could or could not handle in those moments. Mm -hmm. And um, people respected that. And I was able to push through and I try to look out for my siblings. Like I said, what's my role now was really a big thing because, you know, I was like, how am I supposed to help my siblings get through this? Because I'm heartbroken. So how do I help them through the heartbreak? How do I help my aunties support them through their grief? My cousins, it's like, I can't help none of them because I'm stunned by what I'm going through. So I just didn't know what my role was in any of that. So I was fortunate to be able to to process it and have people around me who respected what I was going through and gave me space to feel like I needed to. And especially my husband, because he would just see me some days randomly crying. You know, we were coming home from somewhere one day and the song played from way back in the 80s. And my mom used to love to have my little brothers, you know, when um, they would see the music video Uh and they would learn all the dances, you know, and all this stuff. And she would record them on video. And um, there was a song from way back, um, Aisha, 
I think that was the name of the group was The Boys, as a matter of fact. But anyway, it's a cute little song from way back in the day. Mm -hmm. And one of the songs came on that reminded me. And when I tell you, I flashed all the way back to 1988, you wow. know, when she was directing them in the living room about what to do. Ronnie, you do this. JR, you do that. You know, give the microphone. I like immediately went back to that moment. I'm sitting in the car crying. And my husband looks at me and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. So yeah, they just hit you at those most random moments, you know, something that was that long ago I know. But about her, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh my gosh. So I think those moments are going to hit us for a long time, you know? I think in that it's so beautiful to have, to be able to share those memories and, you know, recall them and also for them to elicit such strong emotion because it really does go to show that the depths of the love that you and your mom share and the family in general shares is just so spiritually and other, spiritual and otherworldly that for me, I feel really grateful for that because I share a lot of those moments with my mom and we were super close to I think mm -hmm. still are honestly um I would my mom by like 10 30 a.m I was on the phone with her and you know I made it a point we talked like literally five times a day on the phone and then text her out you know so it has been quite an adjustment for me and also just in regards to we have some similarities not just about how we feel about our moms but also just the family dynamic and the relational dynamic between siblings and, and parents and other people in the family. Um, I am also the oldest sibling and I have a younger brother and it's only two of us, but I'm the older sibling and I have all boys in my family except for my mom and her sisters because she only has sisters. And so I've definitely been adjusting to that transition of power dynamics. Yep. And it's, been, it's been difficult for me because like you said, you know, you're still carrying this weight and you don't necessarily know how to help yourself, but in that you become the sort of matriarch of the family and you didn't necessarily yeah. want to. I still really don't want to, but you know, you do what you have to do because you love your family. How have you been processing that difference of power dynamic and has it been a struggle for you? Oh yeah. It's been a big struggle because, you know, my, we're all adults, you know what I'm saying? We're all like all of my siblings are way older than you even. So it's been hard because you don't realize how much, even as an adult, you lean on your mother till you don't have her anymore. Mm. So some of my siblings might've leaned more on her than others. Yeah. And now that she's not there, they do tend to look to me. And I was already kind of the third parent in the family. Both my parents were in the military, yeah. I'm the oldest. So I was next in line, you know what I'm saying? So I was always the older sibling who took the lead on everything. If mom and daddy weren't there, naturally it was me, mm -hmm. but I was not literally the parent. I was that substitute parent if need be. So this dynamic has definitely shifted. There are things that my siblings might have expected my mom to do that I will not. I, yeah. I won't because I'm a different person. Right. I'm a different generation. And I've had to have those conversations occasionally. I said, I'm your, I'm your sister. I'm not your mama. Our mother is not here anymore. Mm -hmm. And because certain things are going on in your life doesn't mean I have to take her. I, I'm not taking her role. I'm not. I can never be her. The level of support that is needed every now and again is more than a sibling should have to take. And it's not to say that I have not done some of that that comes off a little bit motherly, but there's been a very fine line drawn, you know, a very clear line has been drawn. Some of those things that we go above and beyond as a parent. I feel very differently about those things because these are my siblings. And I don't think it's fair that I have to do things 
that are outside the realm of what a, a sibling should have to do. Yeah. But like you said, it's that struggle. It's like, oh my gosh, so am I the matriarch? If I'm the matriarch, does that mean I have to do all of this and do that and the other? I married late in life to so my husband. About, I have only been married about four years now. So we're still calling newlyweds, you know, and getting up and going is kind of our thing right now. So like if I miss a phone call, I'm like, is everybody okay? You know, I feel guilty if I'm not like right here for somebody to talk to immediately. But I'm like, do I have to put my life on hold to be here just in case somebody needs me? I don't know what to do with any of that. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I don't know what to do with any of it. So I don't know. I'm still feeling my way. In some ways, I have siblings who are just now growing up as old as we are. Some siblings who are just now growing up. Um, so yeah, we're all still feeling it out, supporting each other through, but it has been very difficult for me to, um, to see where, what my role is and to do also the things that I think my mother would want. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, it's a hard one. It, It has definitely been a struggle and I'm still working through that every day. Yeah, I relate to that a lot. Um, again, I mentioned I have just, it's really just me, my brother and my dad now and my mom an angel and my dad and my brother are very traditionally masculine men who don't necessarily talk about their feelings with each other mm-hmm. but they'll talk about them with me and they mm-hmm. live in the house together and so sometimes I might get a call about my brother from my dad and then sometimes I might get a call about my dad from my brother and I'm just like <laughs> and I don't live I'm actually in the process of moving back closer to home just because it's, it's just been a lot for me to be away from home but part of the decision has been made because of that. It is really hard to exist elsewhere when there's people calling, they're living in the same house or they're living in the same general area. And yet you somehow maintain this, um, I guess, structure in the system as a buffer. And I, yeah. I realized in this that that's what my mom has always been. And, you know, then in that regard, I'm like, well, I kind of wish that she, not just for them, also for me too, would have kind of encouraged us to be more vocal with okay. each other. And it's like, I'm dealing with that now too. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. well, you know, I don't feel like my, my mom didn't leave a mess because my family is, you know, we, we right. are great and we love each other, but it's just like, wow, like there is some work that so needs to be done that I was in my blind spot. And now that's all I can see. That's all I can pay attention to. And I, again, I'm not a mother and I'm not a wife, but there's times where I feel like I am very much the matriarch of the family. And it is hard for me to adjust to that because it's like, I feel like I want to be only because I feel like I need to be. It's not a role that I was even necessarily prepared for. And Mm -hmm. as grown as I thought I was, you know, I definitely wasn't, you know, losing my mom has taught me that. So finding a sense of self has been really interesting in the midst of this because it really is. I reflect that same sentiment. What is my role now? Am I, obviously I'm never going to be my dad's wife, but am I like the matriarch of the family? Am I my brother's mother? Like, I have such a hard time kind of getting a grasp on that thing because it's like, I, I am not prepared for this. Yeah. And you know, you speak such a a truth for me as well. When you're talking about that person who's like at the center of it all, I didn't realize how little I talked to my brothers until my mom passed away. Mm Because what it was, was that we were all calling her. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. I call mom at the end of the day. Hey, mom, what's going on? Oh, well, this is going on with this one. This is going on with that one. And Cordell said, blah, blah, blah. You know, mm-hmm. so I get the rundown. And I said, well, what's going on with the aunties? She tell me all about what's happening with her siblings or my dad's siblings. Then yep. I'm not talking to nobody else. You know, the only people I really talk to is my baby sister, my twin sister, and my mom. Now, I talked to my brothers, but when she was living, I did not talk with them as much. 
because yeah. you said men are different. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Men are different. So they don't really cross communicate. I definitely didn't talk a lot to my dad. None of us did. You know, if you talk to him, if he answered the phone is because she wasn't sitting there at the phone. You know what I'm saying? He mm-hmm. never even answered the phone. So I was one of those tell him I said, hey, kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And he's learning a new role because now he's the, he's the hub now. So when I call, even though it's a very short conversation, because he's not the talker that my mom was, he'll try to give give us the rundown about everything that's going on. But yeah, that is a real thing right there. I'm like, man, I didn't realize how little I spoke to my brothers. She gave me the whole rundown. Yeah. I didn't have to talk to them. I got four brothers, three of them here and one in Germany. I didn't have to talk to none of them if I didn't want to, because as long as I talked to my mama every other day, yeah. I knew I was going on with everybody. Mm-hmm. And you just don't know until she's gone. Like, oh, she's a whole hub. Yeah. Like we joke about who's the family meteorologist now. You know what I'm saying? Because she would call everybody every time there was bad weather. What, did you know there's a storm coming? There's a tropical storm happening. Where are you at? So it's just yeah. those things that you miss and you just don't know until she's gone. And, and she knew this. You know, my mom lost her mother. When she, she was a little bit older than me when her mother passed away. And she would tell me, Tracy, I hate the day that you lose me. And she would just pound her hand to her chest because she knew how heartbreaking this was going to be. Right. And she told me one day, she said, I feel like an orphan because both of her parents had passed. I'm like, mama, how could you feel like an orphan as old as you are, you know? And yeah. she said, I just, I just don't feel like I, I don't know where I belong. And now I get it. <laughs> I really get it. Like, I just don't understand where I'm supposed to be some days. I was in my my dad's town several months ago now, but he happened to not be home. So their door used to always be open. See, the screen door was open. She was always sitting there in her chair with her beer and her cigarettes, watching some TV. I could always just drop by just about. So this particular day I dropped by and I had not called him first and his door was closed when I went over and I was literally disoriented. Like I didn't know what to do with myself. I'm like, what am I doing right now? So it's another one of those emotional moments. So I'm like, you know what, Tracy? So I went and shopped a little bit and I went and forced myself to sit down and have lunch by myself because my reality is so different now. You know, those, those Saturdays are just dropping in and sitting with mama for a few hours and just hanging out with her or taking her out to lunch. Those are all gone. And when that door was closed, and nobody was there at that house. It's like, I didn't know. I, I felt, I literally felt disoriented. Like my brain was swimming. It's like, I, I had to kind of pull myself together and shake it off a little bit, you know, just physically shake my body so I can come back to center because <laughs> I was about to fly off into the the tears. Yeah. And I, it's funny you say that because I like, when I start thinking about things that I, because I lost my mom in a really tragic way, I find myself like just shaking my head. Like it's, like it's somehow going to make those memories kind of just... Just, you know, like leave my head, but I don't want to continue to harp on this, but I really just, I can't believe I'm talking to you and you really understand what I'm saying about this whole dad thing. It's like, cause I realized in that too, you know, me and my brother communicated pretty often, but me and my dad, I always knew that we didn't really talk that much. Like we talked maybe like two, three times a week, but most of the stuff that he was getting was from my mom. Like I would tell my mom what was going on. My brother would tell my mom what was going on and she would tell my dad. And so my dad has never really had to be there for me a hundred percent emotionally or mentally. And I'd never minded that, you know, like it was just, I was used to the dynamic. It was like, my mom is my person and my dad is my 
dad. And now he's definitely had to adjust to this new role too. And I find it, you know, it's endearing because it's cute, but it's also frustrating because it's hard having to adjust to like, for example, last week I didn't feel good. And it's like, I don't want to tell my dad I'm on my period and I have cramps. That's like, my mom just knows that, you know, it's like, it is little things like that. Um, But I, I'm really happy that your family is kind of committed to finding a new normal because it's really easy for a family to fall apart it in is. all of this. Having my family has been one of the things that I feels like feel like has saved me all yep. this time. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I we're like coming up on time already, which is crazy. I just have one more thing to talk about. Um, and then I will let you go. So in the beginning of this conversation, you talked about those warning signs that you got before you lost your mom. Where do you think those things came from? Oh, my goodness. Well, I believe that I believe that others who left before us were showing me these signs because they know how close I am with my mom. I really do. Um, I feel like the world was preparing me for it because they knew how hurt I was going to be. As a matter of fact, the night that my mother fell ill. So like I said, the picture, I'm like, oh, this is her essence. It's a beautiful picture. Then, gosh, what happened? So in December, before she passed away, my my daughter's husband had made her a portrait of the three of us. So he took a picture from the other three of us and made it into a portrait and it was so precious so he had given it to her for christmas but he shared it with her before christmas and then gosh what else had happened the uh night she fell ill my auntie came to me in a dream and i was in virginia i was in norfolk virginia with my daughter i went there for them to have a ultrasound to see the sex of the baby okay so i was there I was planning to come home the next day. I just talked to my mom that day because she had an an appointment, a doctor's appointment. And they called me because I was just a second person. So they couldn't confirm the appointment. So I said, Mama, the VA called. You're going to make it to your appointment. You're checking up on me. I ain't checking up on you, woman. I'm just making sure you're going to be there. Yes, I'm going to be there, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, I'll be home. And I was going to drive by and see her, of course, on the way home. So that night, I had fallen asleep. And I had a a dream clear as day. My auntie was standing in the center of a room that felt like a room in my grandmama's house where I grew up. And there was a window on the other side of my auntie. And she was in the center of the room. And she wasn't, her mouth wasn't moving. But it's like, I could tell. I was in the doorway and I looked at her. And the feeling I had that she was communicating to me was she was like, JR, one of my brothers, was on the other side of this window. Okay. And we got to get JR back inside this window. But what she said was, I got JR. You go back and take care of everybody else. Wow. That was the dream. Wow. And then I'm like, oh, auntie, you're not here anymore. And she smiled at me and I said, I love you. And then I woke up. Within an hour of that dream, my nephew video chatted me in the middle of the night now. And I knew that something was wrong. And he video chatted me and he said, I think I just saw Nini take her last breath. And I could see the ambulance and the police all in the background. And um, she had gone to the, I think she's had a heart attack is all it was. She had a massive heart attack and um, her head had been hurting. And my dad said, we're going to take you to the ER. So she went to go to the bathroom. And when she didn't come back quickly, my dad went and found her and they had to do CPR, but she had just been without oxygen for too long. Yeah, it was a thing, you know, but I'm thankful that she was the kind of person who always was very clear about what she wanted to. And I hope you you and your family didn't have to go through this, but we did have to make the decision to take her off of the machine. 
you know, she'd been on a ventilator. So we had to make that decision. My brother's birthday was on the 19th of December. So the only real decision was the day. Yeah. So we can't let this happen on his birthday. This is hard enough. So we waited till the 21st that Monday. And my mama waited for me. I believe that with everything in me because I told, I was like, I can't handle seeing her again. I was not going to go back up there. So they took her off the machine on that Monday at about 10 or 11 o'clock. And they thought she was going to pass immediately, but she lingered on for a while. And so I'm sitting there at my mom's house. I'm like, are you waiting for me? You know, like, do you want me to come back up? Like, are you waiting for me? So I'm like, okay. And again, it's during COVID. So only a couple of people could be up there at a time. So I went up there and kind of tag teamed with my sister. So my sister came down and I went up or my brother came down and I went up and my nephew was in the room. So as I entered the room, my nephew was closest to the door. So I walked around to the opposite side of the bed and her head was kind of leaned over to the to the left. And I kissed her on this side of the forehead. And I tell you, she raised her head up like this and laid it back down and she was gone. And a few minutes later, the nurse came in and she was tending to her and um, she started to check her heartbeat and her breathing. And she asked me, she said, did you just get here? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, she's gone. She must have been waiting for you. Mm. So I'm like, oh, I said, I'm sorry I made you wait, mama. You know, that's that's what I talked to her about sometimes, too. I didn't mean to make her wait, but I didn't think my heart could take seeing yeah. her have that last breath. I, I didn't think my heart could take it, but apparently it could. So my nephew and I were the last ones there with her. Absolutely. But I'm thankful now. I'm thankful now that I had that last moment. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, she sure did. She waited. So I'm like, I'm sorry, Mary J. I'm sorry I made you wait. But she went peacefully as sudden as it was and as heartbreaking as it was. It was peaceful. And I know she's singing with the angels and she's with her mama, who she missed so much. Even after almost 20 years, you know, she was still grieving her mother. So I know she's with her mom and her sister. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. It's, it's a whole thing. And I'm so sorry that you lost your mom at such a young age. I cannot imagine. I literally can't. I know young women and men who've lost their moms at a young age. And it's hard for me to process at my age. I was 49. That was the other thing that happened. I kept, told my twin sister, I said, 49 feels more significant than 50. You know, like what's going to happen at 49 years old? It feels like a much bigger deal than even turning 50. I would be damned if we didn't lose mama that year. And I said, these are the things that were telling me something's going to happen this year, Tracy. This is going to be something you will never lose sight of. And that's what it was. So all those little things. So, yeah, I think those are all the those who left this world before who love us and know how close me and my mom are. You know, Tracy, prepare yourself for this loss, you know, and it's not that you can truly prepare yourself. But um, I do. I think that those are my loved ones telling us, Tracy, get ready because it's time for her to be with us now. You know, wow. Miss Tracy, thank you so much for sharing. This has been such a lovely conversation. Before I let you go, I need you to let people know where they can find your book. And I also am going to ask you if there's anything you want to touch on that I have not touched on yet, or if there's anything else that you want to say. No, I think I've hit on the the things I wanted to say. You did this. I love the way you do this with this natural conversational thing. You gave me the opportunity to share the the handful of points I wanted to share. I would say that, you know, for any family who's out there grieving, for us to be patient with one another, 
Um, if you see somebody grieving and they're dealing with their grief in a negative, a coping me mechanism, please reel them back in. You know what I'm saying? Reel them back in. You know, I had one of my my siblings. He kind of he kind of went on a negative path for that first whole 30 days after our mom passed, and he pulled himself together. But it was scary. Yeah. You know. So if you are going through these moments and you see others around you taking a negative path, I would say most definitely look for the correct community resources and help them to get on on the right path so that they don't, you know, go down a, a in a direction that you end up having another, you know, significant loss in your family. And um, my book is available on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles even. I've actually written several additional books since then. Like you said, it turned to a little bit of a passion. Um, but Baby Angel is, you know, that's my, like I said, my my labor of love for my mama. So that's the one that I, I push the biggest. But yes, it's available in really anywhere books are sold. But okay. mostly um, Amazon is probably the easiest place to get it or Barnes and Nobles. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today. You have been so lovely. And I also want to thank you guys for listening to another episode of my show. Damn, Mom, really? The show that nobody wants to be on and everybody wants to listen to. We will see you guys or I will see you guys in 10 days. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a review and a comment. It's super, super helpful to us. And as promised, there's a relaxing cool down slash guided meditation by Liliana Rasmussen coming up in five, four, three, two. Welcome to this guided meditation session to create a safe place for you. Chronic pain can be very hard to handle, but many times when we create a mental image of our suffering, we tend to aggravate this pain, thus increasing it. Then every time we feel this sensation, we will have a negative thought attached to it on a conscious and subconscious level. So what this meditation will teach you are techniques to change the mental image that has been created from this pain, and instead implement a peaceful association with pleasant visualizations that create a warmer bonding between you and your body's sensations. This allows you to accept and allow instead of fight and push away. Make sure you're in a very comfortable position. Sit down or lay down if that feels good for you, however you need to position yourself so that none of your muscles are activated or tense. Every part of your body can rest and feel completely relaxed during this meditation. Begin by taking five deep breaths to relax even more. One, full breath in and let it go. Two, fully inhale and exhale. Three, breathe in as much as you can and let it go, feeling a wave of relaxation come over you. Four, inhale deeply and exhale, feeling invigorated. Five, last one, fully inhale and exhale, feeling any tension loosen up and your body feeling extremely relaxed. Good. And just allow your breath to slow and flow naturally now. Don't try to change anything about it. Just notice the calmness that these five breaths gifted you. Notice how your body breathes without you doing anything at all. Begin to feel any sensations that you associate with your pain. Bring them into your awareness and allow these feelings to multiply. You're completely safe and secure. It's okay to allow these sensations to arise. They will not harm you. Put all of your focus on these areas, really feel their exact position and the quality of the sensations. What's the pain like for you? Is it stinging, tingling, or burning? Perhaps it's like something else. In your mind, describe every detail and then sit with it. Be entirely with it while it presents itself. Don't do anything about it except feel it. 
Allow the sensations to grow, and don't stop them, just see what they do. Notice the details of changes the sensations make. Good, you're doing so well. Now switch your focus and bring into your mind's eye a visual of a place you love to go or have been to that is very serene and peaceful for you. It could be an imaginary place, like on top of a gorgeous mountain, or somewhere you frequently go, like a nearby nature path. Your favorite place could be as simple as your warm, cozy bed next to a loved one. Wherever this place is for you, see it vividly right now. Start by visualizing all the physical aspects of this place. Where are you? What do you see when you look up? If you're outside, it could be the sky. If you're in a safe room somewhere, it could be the ceiling. Notice everything you see when you look up. Now look down and at your feet. What does the ground look like below you? Gaze all around this favorite place of yours, making the colors bright and vivid. Make out even more details now, like the leaves on the trees and plants, or the things that are placed around the room. Do you notice any patterns anywhere? They could be patterns in nature, like the way things grow, or the patterns of fabrics and objects in a room. Notice every pattern you can find in great detail. The more details you can imagine, the better. How dark or light out is it? What time of the day do you think it is? And make a judgment about the placement of the sun in the sky. Which way is the light of the sun coming into your imagination? Look at all of the beautiful things that make this place so enjoyable for you. Use your visual creativity of this place for the next several moments. Nice. Now you are going to bring about the sensations this beautiful spot offers. Start by tapping your feet on the ground. Is the surface hard or soft? Feel the ground below you here with your feet, noticing anything you can about it. Become aware of the temperature in this place. Is it cool or warm or hot? Is there a breeze blowing or is the air calm and still? Can you feel the sun on your skin? Sit with these sensations for a few moments and enjoy them. Are there any smells here? If you're imagining the beach, maybe you can smell the salty air, or if you're in a forest, the smell of nature. Just notice how your sense of smell can create sensations of aromas for you when you put your mind to it. What about sounds? Bring fully into this experience any sounds that surround you here. Perhaps you hear a loved one nearby. Perhaps you're alone and you can hear the sounds that nature creates for you. Vividly hear any sounds in this experience. Sit with these senses activated for a few moments and begin to interact with your environment. Great. To relax even further, become aware of what you're doing here. Are you sitting down and relaxing or walking around and exploring? Are you doing exactly what you love and want to do? See yourself being completely relaxed and happy here. There's no need to do anything here but relax and enjoy it. Be assured that this place is always here for you to keep you safe if you need to flee from pain. Take another slow and deep breath in. And as you exhale, you feel at complete peace with yourself and all the sensations in your body. As I speak these words to you, you are changing the mental images associated with your pain. Whenever you feel overwhelmed by the sensations in your body, repeat this exercise to accept the pain and change the thoughts associated with it. When you use this technique, you will stop the pain from becoming aggravated and growing stronger. When you vividly visualize a safe and peaceful place in moments of distress, you are slowing down your pulse and blood pressure, creating a peaceful and strong connection to your body and mind. Allow yourself to slowly become aware of your surroundings, and whenever you are ready, open your eyes, ready to go about your day peacefully.